All right, Nick Smart, UFC 262 last night. Overarching question to start with is just what kind of grade would you give that just on a pure entertainment level? I'm going to give up the ghost a little bit on my front. I know it's very entertaining, but if you were to give it a letter grade, where would you put that? I'm going to say A minus. Yeah. And the only reason I'm going to say A minus is because I want to leave some room for, you know, the, the magnificent, perfect nights of fights, right? Last night was a highly entertaining night of fights. Um, even with the Jack Hermanson, Edmund Shabazian fight moved to next week, uh, I was still very, very satisfied with the entertainment uh, factor last night. I thought it was great, and I know Dan is very happy. Yeah, A minus B plus for me. I mean, you, you had three decisions on the main card, so it's not going to be that A plus. But for a card that ended up in that spot, you know, you look at a lot of these fights, and they were still violent. They were still entertaining. Um, the fact that uh, the Benil Dariush fight didn't end in the second round with that heel hook is oh my god shocking. That's the other thing. Between Jacare Souza's broken arm and whatever damage Tony Ferguson is lingering around with today, um, holy cow. That was my other takeaway from last night. When I was at work earlier today, you know, thinking back on last night was holy cow. Um, there are tough guys, there are badasses, and then there's Tony Ferguson and, and Ronaldo Jacare Souza. Because Souza almost looked I don't even know how to term it. Um, not uncomfortable, but like almost just uh, inconvenienced by the arm break. Like he yeah. didn't even yeah, yeah, like yeah. acknowledge it physically. It was just kind of like, oh, well, this happened. Yeah. yeah. Like, and when they played that back and you heard that live snap. Um, oh, yeah. I usually have a pretty good stomach for those things, but that noise really resonated and was hard I, I i said to uh my my wife and my roommate we were all watching together and i i said you could see it break because when they didn't have the sound you can actually see yeah. the jolting of the arm yeah. when it happened absolutely and, and, and that's I, when the ref jumped in yeah yeah and i was like oh shit you can see his arm break and they showed a replay yeah. and then they did the one with the sound and yeah. it, every, everybody's jaw kind of hit the floor because yeah. that was clear as day Yep, and uh, Souza didn't seem to mind. He really, whether he was in shock, whether there was endorphins, whether something was going on, he didn't seem to mind that much. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so yeah, so a couple of real badasses, and Tony Ferguson, like you know, someone brought up a point at the post-fight presser that he has now landed thirty strikes in the last thirty minutes of ring time. Yeah. Um. The guy's on his way out. I hate to say it. Um. But man, I what an entertaining guy, man! And just like whether it's the pre-fight presser, the quotes leading up to it, uh, single-handedly got the fight bonus in the night knocked from fifty to seventy-five, just by using a line about uh, Michael Chandler's Dana White privilege that caught Dana's ear. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, you saw the initial reaction of pain when uh, and Dariush even said like he couldn't believe it. He yep. was kind of in shock. Well, he said it popped. He was, he, yeah, he was like, yeah, it he popped said, and it popped yeah, loudly. Yeah, and then Tony was just kind of like, okay. And then he you know, threw in a couple axe kicks. and Yeah, no. I, I, I think it was Danny who said it last night. Tony's almost too tough for his own good. Like, it, it's just going to lead to, like, quality of life stuff now going forward. 
yeah, 37 years old. Um, all right, let's table Tony for a bit. We'll start at the top of the card here. Just uh, just one last thing on Tony, and I think you would have alluded to it a couple of shows ago. I think it's clear that the damage he took from Justin Gaethje yeah. uh, has completely changed everything. Yeah, d- compromised for sure. Uh, Charles, great first name, Oliveira, wins in the second round over Michael Chandler, who towards the end of the first round looked like he was going to get the fight stopped. Um, I, I'm i not going to try to make the argument, but I think there are reasonable people out there who could probably make the argument that Chandler may have done more damage to Oliveira in the first round and the ref didn't stop it than Oliveira did to Chandler in the second when the ref did. I don't I like I don't particularly feel that way but like if somebody mm. said that I'd be like you know what I could see that uh, I could I could I there was a a part of me that was holding my breath waiting for the ref to stop it in round one yeah I thought there I thought it was gonna get stopped there. I thought he'd done enough I didn't think Oliveira yeah. was really blocking anything to his head I thought he yeah. was just kind of eating shots yeah uh, but then he kind of got his head moving laterally and yeah. then he kind of scrambled back up um I think it was Chael Sonnen who said it last night. At the end of the day, there was one completed round last night, and Michael Chandler won. Right. So, you know, props to Chandler, no matter the result. Yep. Uh, Chandler in the post-fight press conference said a lot of, you know, I zigged when I should have zagged, you know, and ate one, and now you get back to work. Uh, Tell you what, I don't know a lot about Michael Chandler. Class act. Yeah, Uh, yeah. His his in-ring interview was great. Yeah, real professional approach, um, both in ring and in, and in the post-fight press conference, where you could see his frustration, um, but he was still nothing but um, uh, complimentary of, of Charles' great first name, Oliveira, and uh, took responsibility for the places where he thought he should be taking responsibility. Uh, you and I both agree Michael Chandler is now out of the title picture probably for the foreseeable future. See, uh, that's where I feel like kind of a, an idiot or a, a mark for not agreeing. I, I kind of feel the same way about this, the same way I feel about the Whaley fight and how Whaley should, should run it back and get right back in there. I'm not sure people will stomach an Oliveira Chandler rematch right away, but I, I thought with how Chandler won round one and almost got the stop, the fight stopped, uh, I, to me, I only need to see him go win one other fight, and then I'm happy with him getting back in there. I think he's got to go fight Gaethje. I think Justin yeah. Gaethje needs to factor into this thing, and he needs to factor into it quick. I think if Chandler beats Gaethje, then you get then yeah, you're you're able yeah. to say you're the next guy. The, yep. But the next guy for now is going to be the winner of Connor Poirier, mm-hmm. and. Yeah. It's it's interesting to me listening to Dana being like, oh, I don't know, man. Like, we'll see. I haven't thought that far. Like, no, that's everybody knows that's what's happening. That's basically a number one contitle, uh, contenders fight. I think when that fight happens, you're going to be marketing th- it that way. So acting now like that's not what's really happening here is is a bit of nonsense as far as uh, I'm concerned. With that, yeah, I I don't buy I don't buy any of that, and like. At the post-fight presser when Dana always says, oh, well, tonight's not the night to make fights and we, we have the meeting on Tuesday, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, come on. Like, you already know. Like, yeah. let's let's be real. We all know Chandler and Gaethje are going to go fight. And, you know, there's no need to beat around that bush. Yeah. So the, the outcome, it does become questionable because I think if Poirier and McGregor go 
five rounds and neither of them look particularly good or in you know the opposite being that they both take a ton of damage and so if you have two guys come out of that fight that need a year off then gaith g chandler kind of de facto becomes the number one contender fight um so there's scenarios where that's that's not the case where those guys aren't fighting for for number one contenders but it's it's a real niche category uh where where it turns out that way it's uh murderer's row at 155 in the ufc how uh, shocked were you to see Oliveira get a knockout? Like, uh, this guy is a submission machine, and he yeah. rocked Chandler. Most submission victories by anyone in uh, the UFC. Um, talk about versatility. I mean, this guy can do it all. He really can. I, But, I mean, if I would to have bet on the outcome, I, I would have put all the money in my pockets on a win by submission. I, I didn't think he was going to win with his hands. Yeah. I thought Chandler was too willing to go to the ground. I thought Chandler would have been better served keeping the fight standing up. I, I was, I was shocked that Chandler, it almost seemed like Chandler wanted to prove something or I, I don't know what was going on there. Um, maybe some reverse psychology, but yeah, no, I, I can't say enough good things about Charles Oliveira. Um, great story, great performance. The emotion he showed afterwards was, I mean, the the affect of that made me emotional. And then when you read about his story, about how he still lives in uh, the favelas in Brazil. and Not like, for long. Not yeah, well, yeah. no, 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 no. That's the thing. He's already said no amount of money is going to change that. He He buys medication. He buys food. He buys supplies toys for his community um it's a really good story that needs to be told and i'm afraid the only thing that is going to slow down or prevent it from being told is the fact that the guy doesn't speak a lick of english yeah and if he does he's not willing to let on to it and we all know that dana uh would have much rather chandler win the belt for promotion reasons going forward i think that's self-explanatory but it is what it is and uh i'm, I'm an Oliveira fan well, and I think Chandler's style of fight is what they would love to see in a UFC champion, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you don't watch a Michael Chandler fight and don't see guys throwing hands. Yeah. Um, I agree with you yeah, about guys... what you said about being on the ground, though. Chandler even said in the press conference, he was like, I was okay giving him my back. I felt comfortable there. And I'm like, that's right. a crazy thing to do. Yeah. Like, um, when he jumped backwards and, like, slammed them down and, like, the amount of energy a that that wasted b you almost knocked yourself out yeah, he did c, acknowledge that was very stupid so. oh did he okay yeah, i yeah, didn't yeah. see that part yeah. yeah because rogan and them were anik were spot on when they said like he just made the choke deeper and stronger yeah um it's one of those things you see in professional wrestling right like somebody gets a sleeper hold on somebody yeah. and they jump back and the person just goes ah and lets yeah. go of them um and you see it occasionally as well uh, in MMA, when somebody has a triangle over somebody's head and they'll try lifting them up and like power bombing them down to get out of it, the w what you notice in MMA <laughs> is that it's not professional wrestling, and that that mm -hmm. impact is not enough to make you just instantly release a hold. And in a lot of cases, you just screw yourself further because um, you use all this energy with with very little result. As long as the person can withstand the impact, you're totally fine. Uh, Tony Ferguson lasts three rounds, but that is the most generous interpretation you could give of this fight, in my opinion. Mm. Um, I, Benny Dariush is a badass. I, Mr. Dariush is absolutely a badass. I will say Tony Ferguson had the look of a guy who doesn't enjoy getting punched in the face anymore. 
Um, I don't know that he's quite at uh, Donald Cerrone levels here. But even in that first round when they were standing up and he ate a couple, you could just kind of see him um, exasperated with the situation. Uh, I'll say this. I think there is a real opportunity in MMA sports betting to identify guys who are done and hanging on too long. Um, we saw it last week with Cerrone. We see it this week with Ferguson. If we've seen it with Woodley to a certain extent. Yeah. The uh, Woodley downfall was, uh, hard to watch. And just so, because, I mean, he, he refused to throw his hands at all. Like he was just going in there and, and lean up against the wall for three or five rounds. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're really there. There's ways to make money. If you can identify a guy who's got a name and is a decent talker at marketing himself, um, because you see odds that, in my opinion, are just way closer than they should be when these guys are, are clearly done, that it's, you know, it, it is the end of the road for these folks. Um, we talked about this last night. Is there a way, they're saying Ferguson's going to drop to seven because that's who he lost to. I mean, I don't think he should have a single-digit number beside him. In that division, no. In other weight classes, yeah, sure. But not not at uh not at lightweight. Like I said, it's murder's row. I yeah. mean Dan Hooker, eight, Paul Felder twelve, Islam Makachev ten, Gregor the Gift Gillespie twelve, Kevin Lee thirteen, got a guy named Drew Dober at fifteen. I mean, I'd like insane. to see the Ferguson Kevin Lee fight and be like, Okay, like show that you still belong. If you're the, if the, you're they, insistent, Tony. They have fought before, I do know that. Um, I think Ferguson submitted Kevin Lee from his back. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, but I'm at the stage now where anything Tony did before the Gaith G fight. Yeah, no, I got it. You know, um, he is Dana, a changed man since then. Yeah, Dana's going to have a decision to make. Tony is such a fan favorite that you can keep him around. But if, if Dana's going to be serious about, you know, we only keep people who are going to be either fighting for titles or going to be soon fighting for titles, then I don't know, man. Is it belt or time? I, I don't know what Tony's feelings are there. but I mean, can you see a world where you're putting Tony Ferguson on a fight night prelim card? Because that's kind of what we're talking about. If you're not in the top 15, that's that's what that looks like. You're, that was kind of the talk with Jacare Souza last night. He was on the prelims. And yeah. I think it was Chael Sonnen who said, like, what are we doing here? You know, like, what's in if we are here, what's the story that's being told? Yeah. You know, if you're on the prelim, it's it's on you to come out and say, hey, this is my last run. We're making one last run here. Everybody get on board. Let's do this. But I mean, with Jacare last night, it was just kind of like, you know, what's going on here? And then especially with the arm break, uh, you know, it's. Yeah. It's time. Um, anything else on Ferguson before we keep going here? I mean, just... <laughs> I I didn't get a chance to watch the back and forth with him and Dariush uh, at the, at the uh, pre-fight presser, but I watched it after the fight last night. And Tony Ferguson, uh, he could be in any of these major sports. You just don't find personalities like him... Uh, Highly, highly entertaining, hilarious guy to follow. Um, everything he says is just diamond gold to me. 
And uh, I wish there were more people like Tony Ferguson in across all sports because it would make it a lot more interesting. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I don't think this is the end and I don't want it to be the end, but when it is the end for him, uh, I'm going to miss him a lot because uh, he keeps things lively. Matthew Schnell says Rodrigo Bontorin. I'm not going to lie. I don't know shit about either of these guys. I yeah, might have seen I, him fight before. but Yeah, I hadn't heard of either. I was surprised that how far up on the card that was. And again, with the uh, Hermanson fight being canceled, everyone gets bumped up one. But I thought Edson Barboza deserved to be a little higher up on the card than these two. But it is what it is. Um, it was a pretty entertaining fight. Uh, some of the judging and that's uh, yeah, the <laughs> yeah. So the uh, Mike Grundy fight too. How a judge thought he won three rounds is doesn't make any sense to me. But. So we're we're clearly in. Um, there is a problem with Texas. Uh, Dana was asked about it and just kind of brushed it off and said like, "Hey, yeah. you know, we'll you know we'll we'll see how it goes." We're working on it. Yeah. Yeah. This this fight wasn't a huge deal. Most people had it 30-27 or 29-28 one way or the other. Um and and so okay, you know, I would say I would say gently there. Um I just I don't and and I don't ever really remember thinking that Schnell was in the fight. You know, it was like he, he was doing some stuff and, and whatever, but there was no point where I, I really thought it was. So if we're like, if we're going to say like what was not fight of the night, what was firmly not the most interesting fight um, yeah. right here in the middle, yeah, middle of the main card. I thought it was a snoozer and I almost wrote to you mid fight like I can't get into this fight. Yeah. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that, you know. I don't come to you as an MMA expert on the show. I come to you as a fan. I come to you as someone still early in the sport, and I have no problem admitting I hadn't heard of Ruggiero Bontorin or Matt Schnell going into that fight. If I've heard of one of the two fighters, that's all I need. I'm, I'm pumped. Let's do this. But when I haven't heard of either, and it's that deep on the card, and it's that much of a snoozer fight, um, I've got problems. And and if I'm this hardcore of a fan and I've got issues with it, I can only imagine the Fairweather fans, right? Yeah. Just about the judging last one, on the uh, Lando Venata mike Grundy split decision, whatever judge scored that fight 30-27 for Mike Grundy should have immediately been brought out back and forced to explain their decision. Like, okay, here's your scorecard. Please walk me through the process where you thought this guy who – you thought this guy won three rounds and the other guy got his hand raised and the other guy deserved to get his hand raised. But you thought this loser won three rounds of that three round fight. And I please just, either walk me through it or explain it. And sometimes there will be good explanations for that, right? Like we see some fights are close and we see, but you know, if, if they can't explain that, then that leaves us with two options. They're either on the take and they're dirty or B they're incompetent, they're both of which yeah. can't stand. Right, both of which have to be addressed. So I'm I'm going to make an effort to to make the case for the thirty twenty seven, and I want to be very clear that this is a real uh, is a real stretch of devil's advocate here on my behalf. Okay, um, Grundy was the aggressor for most of the fight. He was trying to get takedowns. 
he, for those who didn't watch the fight, he was unsuccessful every single time. I think he had nine takedown attempts. None of them succeeded. A lot of wasted energy. Um, and and as was correctly pointed out by uh, ESPN's, uh, oh, what was it? Dane or so, I forget the guy's name, but they had like, oh, uh, Din, yeah, Din Thomas, yeah, yeah, former MMA fighter. He had he had a great point that like Grundy had two modes. He was either trying to wrestle you or he was trying to strike you, and you could see him go in and out of the modes, and it made it easy for his opponent to just kind of adjust to that. But if if you're um, looking at how they say the fight should be scored, right? It is efficient striking and grappling, or pardon me, I think it's effective striking and grappling, followed by aggression, followed by octagon control. If if you say, all right, then the, the striking and grappling was basically a wash between the two guys, so now we move to aggression and octagon control, and in those cases, Grundy was more aggressive, and therefore we give it to him. Now, the reason I don't believe that is because I don't think that you can make an argument that Grundy was the more effective grappler. He was the more aggressive grappler, but when he tried to grab, the other guy just fucking weaseled his way out of it every time, which I would argue is more effective grappling, right? <laughs> Some guy tries to wrestle you down, and you just nope the fuck out of there every time. That is that is more effective in my mind. Um, so I don't think it should have been 30-27. I, there, there were 29-28 I could handle. Um, Grundy winning the fight would have really had me singing deep in the heart of Texas. Uh, and, and thankfully that didn't happen, but the fact that a judge had it 30, 27, it's, they got problems. They got problems out there. Yeah. I mean, they should have to explain themselves. Yeah. Well, it sounds like like that guy might've like literally only, um, judged 10 MMA fights before that. That's insanity. Absolute insanity. Like, I could understand if that was Backwoods, Nebraska, but Houston, Texas? Houston, Texas? That's insane. Well, and how do you just not have guys... Listen, Sal Diamato's at every fucking show, right? A fight night, a pay-per-view. That guy's at every show. And I think he does a pretty good job. There's decisions I've disagreed Mm -hmm. with on him, but, like, Mm -hmm. I think he does, in general, a pretty good job. Yep. Why don't we have five seven guys that were just like these are the ufc judges yeah. they they get to do the job yeah. week in week out the problem there is bureaucracy it's state by state Absolutely. every state has their own commission every state has their own rules and, and regulations and it needs to be unified and unionized even, under one umbrella even when you look at refereeing we saw some fucking faces yesterday that i've never seen you know, yep. and, and and some yep. guys I've seen much less often, but yep. we we did not see our no nonsense Keith friend. Nope. We did not Keith see. Pearson, nope. We did not see. No herb. No, there was no herb. Nope. Uh, it was nice to see Mike Beltron. Don't see him much. He's tucking his beard into his shirt. I, and now, I though. wondered. I wondered if that was part of the part of like Texas regulations or something, right? But they had some Southern guy out there that was like, all right, guys, this is why you work so hard. Now let's go try. I'm like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And 10 minutes <laughs> later, we got a late stoppage where a guy's taking two shots to the ear. And what was that about, right? Yeah. Like That was the weird knockout there of Burgos uh, by Barboza. That was yeah. the most delayed. Like usually when it's delayed like that, it's like a Frankie Edver, Edgar liver shot. Remember from Giga, uh, Giga Shikadze there? Yep. 
that's where you usually see the delay. Not when it's a, a hit to the temple. And I mean, Dana admitted it. He was scared. Never seen something like that. Yeah, no, no. Uh, that was scary. Scary to see. And every time that happens, Dana ends up being asked about it. And I'm telling you, I hate to be the one who's going to be right about this, but we're up against the odds here. And there's going to be one of these times where that happens and the guy doesn't get up. And, you know, we all know where it goes from there. Never happened. I think that's no, it's noting, yet to happen. But, but we're we're now playing I agree. with house money here. Um, and, and it's one of those things where it's like, okay, so what? And then what if it happens twice in two months? Exactly. Does this whole exactly. sport just implode exactly. on itself? It's yeah. I mean, you you could compare it to CE CTE in football, like when Seau went, and uh, you know Dave Dewar. Well, it'll, and it's worse because this will. It is. If if yeah. it happens in the UFC, it will for sure be televised. Yep. And there's there's Absolutely. a extremely good chance that both you and I will end up watching live as a person is killed in the ring. Like that's a yep. that's that's a reality that we're facing. Without a doubt. And you don't know how 80,000 of your fans are going to react to that. No. Um, and so it's, a, I think they, they take a lot of good measures that there's lots of medical staff right there. Mm. Um, they send them right to the hospital, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll tell you what, I think you know this, have probably noticed this as well. If, if a person does die, they're pretty careful to not show people who get badly injured. Like yeah. there's lots of times you're watching, you're like, oh shit, are they okay? And you don't know because they will no. not go to the shot of yeah. a still body on the ground. They yeah. kind of shield mm -hmm. the outcome from the public, I think, in, in a lot of cases. Yeah. There's a lot of times we're only privy to that shot when the winning now concerned fighter goes over to pay his respects or and or that it's, once they know they're okay they, right they got him yeah. set, sat up yeah. or he's on a stool yeah. or something and then they, they they're comfortable showing him again but yeah. like yeah. Uh, an unconscious yeah. body on the floor they tend to try to stay away from yeah. yeah absolutely i'm sure this conversation has happened more than once and there are protocols in place that are going to be followed media wise uh you know pr wise everything well for when not if it does eventually happen. I'll, I'll, I would bet dollars to donuts right now that no matter what happens, they're going to say that the person died at hospital. Yeah. That they yeah. will, right? They will yeah. strap yeah. a fucking corpse yeah. to a stretcher if they have yeah. to. Yeah, there won't be a out. DOA. There There's, won't be a yeah, dead on arrival. They will never acknowledge if somebody dies in that ring. I, I don't think that'll ever happen. No, I, I agree completely. I, I Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree completely. Uh, Caitlin Ch Chukagin? Chukagin? Chukagin. Chukagin. Yeah. I was trying to find out the nationality. I think it might be like Ukrainian or Romanian. I'm not sure. But she is American. So she is one of the first fighters I ended up watching. Because uh, as I as I started getting into the sport, uh, not not at your behest, but some some of your encouragement, um, we had a friend just be just before COVID happened. We we had a friend who was dating a new guy we hadn't met yet, and we said, "Okay, come on over and watch uh, the UFC with us tonight." And my wife hadn't really been watching at that point either. So we've we've got the friend, her new boyfriend. And my wife there, who are all basically 
MMA novices. And that night, Caitlin steps into the ring with Valentina Shevchenko. Oof. And the bullet. And the guy says, her name's Caitlin. We should call her Cracklin because she just looks like she's done a lot of crack. And ever since then, we have called her Cracklin in this household, um, which I feel like is unduly disrespectful because yeah. since that fight with Valentina the Bullet Shevchenko. Racking up W's now. Uh, the only fight she's lost was to Jessica Andrade and I... Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think Michael Chandler would say she probably zigged when she should have zagged, because mm-hmm. um, she yeah. came she came back a month later and beat uh, Cynthia Calvillo. So this is the epitome in in my mind of the problem that the UFC has in their women's divisions right now, because fifteen months ago. Cracklin lost to Shevchenko. Mm. Uh, since then, she has won, what is it, four? What would it be, four out of five fights? Three out She's of four? Three, three and one since the bullet loss. Her her immediate fight after the bullet loss was uh, the bullet Beating sister. her sister, yeah. Antonina, who also uh, lost last night to Andrea Lee. And so, if, if I'm the UFC, I'm just like, what? So what do you do? Caitlin's basically number one, right? Unless you're going to make her fight on Drodge again. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay, so if she does, then what? So if Androge wins, are we putting her against the bullet? No, because that's not particularly interesting. Well, if Cracklin wins... And she wins, just lost to the bullet. That's what I mean, right? She, she yeah. just lost to the bullet and it wasn't even close. Cracklin, when she had her shot, lost and it wasn't even close. So what's like what's Shevchenko's fight now? Yeah, it's it's the Amanda Nunes problem, right? Uh, you've got two girls who are completely dominant, and the side note that sucks is that they fought twice and Amanda's won both. So it's yeah. you know even though we are still probably on an eventual path where that trilogy is going to happen, even though O two trilogies are rare. Well, and um, I think Shevchenko has to go up to fight Nunes because Nunes can't go down. I yeah, I think I think that's what happens. And um, so, you know, how fair is that? Do you do a catch weight between the two of them? But like, so that yeah, it's probably the thing he has to, do. to go up five, but Nunes has to cut. Like when she yeah. fights at fucking, she's the only person fighting at featherweight or whatever it is. Um, yeah. You know, it's they're they are stuck at the top end of those those women's divisions right now. Yep. Yep. Uh, Very top heavy. Yeah. <laughs> Incredibly top heavy. Yeah. And I don't even know who you like who you have no. fight them. I, I, I have no idea either. And here's like, the here's the part that like no one can really talk about is they take such little damage in those fights that and and we're talking about the bullet and Nunez here. Mm-hmm. Like they they are so dominant that if you wanted to, you could just run them out every two months. Yep. Every month and a half. Like, they could be on every other pay-per-view. Absolutely. You just don't have bodies that can face them to do that. No. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I mean, we were talking about lightweight at 155. I mean, those fights basically make themselves, you know. It doesn't take a rocket scientist uh, to connect those dots. But although I would want Dana's job on many of these issues, I would want Sean Shelby and all these guys' job on many of these things, I I do not envy this task. 
because for me, other than putting the bullet in there with Amanda, what do you do with either of them, right? Yeah. And I thought we were getting there with Whaley. I really did. And that's why I want to see Whaley draw right back into Rose. And that that division to me is at least interesting because you've got Joanna in the mix yep. too, and so yep. there's there's things that you can do there that that make yep. it more interesting. Mm. Um, I would have been interested to see, uh, what what's the name of my my friend Angela Hill, and mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't Jessica I I forgot who she she was supposed to be fighting there, um. I would have liked to see that fight because we we do need more contenders. And I I assume what the UFC wanted out of last night was uh, Viviana Rujo to win and be the next contender for Shevchenko. Yeah. Right. That she would be the obvious person next in line that you could feed to her. But with Cracklin winning, it's just like, what do you do? I I, I don't know what you do there. Here's a fight to make. Just looking at the rankings. Uh, I'm pretty sure my girl from Scotland, Joanne Calderwood, still looking for a fight. She used to be the number one contender. She never got that fight with a bullet. Um, I say we run Chukagian out there with Joanne Calderwood. Have them settle it. Winner takes on the bullet. Yeah. Boom. In, this, in the sixth spot, that makes sense to me. Yeah. And to me, Joanne Calderwood's not ranked sixth. She was the number one contender heading into COVID. She was forced to take a fight because she hadn't fought in like 18 months. Like, can you imagine you're the number one contender, you're waiting for that title fight, and then COVID happens, and it's like, oh, I haven't fought in 18 months. I have to basically fight someone. She took a chance. She loses the fight, loses her rankings. I I, I could argue that no one got screwed more by COVID. Other than Leon Edwards, it would be Joanne Calderwood. And and here's the kicker. Leon Edwards is in in England. Calderwood's right there in Scotland. So, you know, geographically, it's not a coincidence. Uh, I think Calderwood deserves good things. So I I think you solve that there. Put her in there with Chicago and winner gets the bullet. Yeah, that sucks. That sucks for Andrade and Lauren Murphy and Jennifer Maya. But I think Maya and I have a fight coming up. So Maya at four, Jessica I at eight. They're gonna go settle things. Yeah, has so, Murphy fought? Um, I don't know what's up with Murphy. Yeah, I mean she might she might actually be the next person they feed. Um, yeah. And of course, Andrea Andrea KGB Lee at eleven beating Shevchenko last night. Uh, she deserves maybe someone above her now. So yeah, the Lee the Lee situation though, she's not gonna be high enough. You know, no, no, she's. Uh, I mean, two fights ago, she was fighting to stay in the organization. She was coming off like three losses and yeah. some pretty bad domestic stuff. I am, I am still keeping a close eye on Miranda Maverick at fifteen. Yep, and I was just about to say the same thing about Macy Barber at fourteen. Don't forget how much the promotion wants Macy Barber to be a number one contender. So they're going to keep doing things to have that happen. Yeah, I th- I think there's a world where we need to consider the possibility that these guys, um, they they should maybe be strapping the rocket ship to those two girls, and being like, all right, you think you're ready? We're gonna have you fight, you know, Jessica I, Roxanne Modafari, like rapid fire, just right up right up the chain. We're gonna put you three fights away from the championship here, you know. Yep. Um. And then the last, go ahead. Just uh, like, I I know Dana's not in the business of copying what Scott Coker and Bellator are doing, but maybe 
a women's tournament wouldn't be the worst idea. You know, we've got a lot of similar names here, a lot of similar talent levels. Let's just put them in a round robin. Let's go figure things out. I, I, I really do like those Bellator Grand Prix. I, yeah. And again, I, you know, for the USC to, to, you know, bend down and, and you know, follow a competitor like that, they're probably not going to do it. But I think for some of these divisions, it would be pretty exciting, entertaining stuff. Yeah, I don't think they like the optics of that. And I, like, as a concept, do not like it. Um, just, just from the perspective of people take different damage in different fights. And, yeah. and so I, I think you have to be careful about assuming how ready someone is to come back. Yeah. Yep, you know, even that. if you're Absolutely. like, oh, yeah, we're going to give this guy four months. I'm like, that's cool. But if he took 45 shots to the head in the first fight, he needs more than four months because a real mm-hmm. camp is two and a half of that. And I get it. You know, I get it. Um, and I think that part's real, real problematic for them. They they have some uh, like like just a plethora of TV time available. They're doing shows every goddamn week. Sounds like they're not looking to get out of the apex until October. Um, yeah. So the pay-per-views I think are going to continue to be in front of live audiences and fight nights are going to be out of, out of there for the rest of the year, at least, um, or until later in the year, at least, you know, they, they have time to run these guys out and have them have their fights. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of, of when they're going to do it. Just on uh, another COVID note, it was I know we've had what one or two now in a row, but it was cool to see fans last night. Like I, for I those, love it, uh, I love it. For those octagon interviews, like it, it's nice not hearing the crickets in the background, and yep. uh, like you know when uh, when a guy lands two three strikes in a row and you hear the crowd start roaring, that's pretty cool. There was a time that yeah. Cracklin knocked down Vivian and and the crowd, oh, and you saw yeah. you saw Herbie like, oh wait, maybe I need to uh, try to. No, get I know here, you you see you, you do hear the fighters take the uh, the cues. And there is an affect from the crowd that the fighters do feel. Mm-hmm. Emotions travel through the air, through affect. Uh, people don't realize, like, if you're in a room and eight people are crying, there's a chance that the ninth and tenth person might get the notion to start crying. Like, it, it does sneak up on you like that. Shane Burgos, Edison, or Edson Barboza, mm. banger of a fight. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute banger of a fight. Yeah. Good fight. Um, really enjoyed I think the Barboza, strange outcome, obviously. Yeah, it was. It was scary. We already uh, brushed on that on the end. But uh, for Barboza going forward, I want to see him get a top guy. I know uh, he had a losing streak there, and this is the first time he's won back-to-back fights, I think, since like 2017 or something. But uh, new weight class, new coat of paint, as some would say. And... Uh, yeah, I, I want to see him. I, you know, I'm tired of seeing him fight guys that I haven't really heard of. I give him a, a big name guy. Uh, anything from the prelims? We talked about Grundy. We talked about Souza. Tell you what, Jordan Wright impressed me. Yeah, I, I was, Beverly Hills Ninja. Yeah, I was not ready for that. Yeah. No, he uh, he had a, a come back to earth moment in his last fight. Um, but just like I talked about Macy Barber, uh, the promotion is behind this guy. And as long as this guy keeps getting his hand raised, uh, big things 
are, are going to come this guy's way. This guy is going to move his way up the fight card so quick it's going to make your head spin. Um, this guy will be on main event, main cards in no time, I, I firmly believe. Uh, Andrea Lee was 15 seconds away from uh, not winning that fight. You know, the the official time that it ended was 4.52. Realistically, she got the arm bar on around 4.45. But Shevchenko was in that headlock for, what, three minutes almost? And if she could have just held out another 15 seconds, I would have really been interested to see what Andrea Lee had left in those legs when she had to come out and strike for the third round. Uh, it didn't turn out that way if ifs and buts were candies and nuts. Uh, Andrea Lee comes away with the win in Texas. I, I'll tell you my biggest takeaway from her. Um, what fucking planet was she living on that she thought that was going to get her a bonus, that fight? Like, I did not see anything there um, that would have suggested to me that she would have been uh, getting a bunch of money from from what happened. It was not a strong showing on her part. It's like, great, you won the fight, you did all that, but to think that you should get paid extra um, for having people watch you just lay there for three minutes trying to get a friggin' armbar. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't see that being a thing. I think she does not understand what makes the money. <laughs> um, did you watch the early prelims? It wasn't a lot. I there. did not. I'm loving what's happening on uh on on Google here. That there was a the last early pre prelim was Gina Mazzini against a person who they don't even have a name for, but that person won the fight. Priscilla <laughs> so, Cochera. That's right. Now Priscilla, if I understand correctly, was the biggest underdog on this card. Um, but that was at like a plus two fifty or something. Like this was a very evenly matched night of fights. Um. And she she came away with a deserved win, I thought, in that spot. Holy shit. She beat the bullet back in 2018. Crazy. Well, maybe that's why we've removed her from the internet then. Priscilla Cochera, yeah. She beat, uh, and, you know, Molly McCann, she's no pushover, beat her, beat McCann her home turf in England. But, uh, yeah. Oh, no, sorry, she lost a bullet. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not getting enough sleep at night. I, I, I thought I thought I was reading that the bullet beat her. Yeah, no, she lost to the bullet. Uh, yeah, I mean, good. I I thought, I I thought she actually looked really good, um, in that fight. The other earlier fights were were a bit of a joke. I did not see the first one, but that Kevin Aguilar Tucker Lutz fight was not good, not entertaining. Uh, got a lot of booze and deserved a lot of booze. On the USC 262 Wikipedia page, Tucker Lutz is the only fighter without a Wikipedia page. There you go. Uh, Gina Mazinay, actually going back to that Priscilla fight, it was real interesting because her coach said to her, it's maybe one of the most amusing things I've seen in UFC in a, in a very dark way. Um, but after that first round, her coach said to her, like, hey, you took her best punch. Like, just move on. You're fine. You, you took her best punch. Just wrestle her down. Because Gina's plan was clearly just, I'm going to wrestle this girl to the ground the whole fucking time. Right? And so she comes out in the second round and tries to wrestle her down again. Gets a little bit of success, but no, like nothing really happens. And they stand him back up. 
and Priscilla hits her, and that was her best punch, because Gina did not want to fight anymore after that. It was a lot of her just, at one point, she was looking at the ref, hoping that he was going to step in, but of course, it uh, it did not turn out that way. Um, she, she was a real bloody mess by the end of that fight, um, quite literally, and, and it's too bad that that's how it turned out for her, but that is how it goes. Um, a couple general UFC things before we move on. I, I thought the idea that they're not going to do fight nights in front of fans was very interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it just speaks to, uh, the state by state nature of this thing, right? Like yeah. the fact that he, you know, last week in Jacksonville and, and this week in Houston talking about just how going out and nobody has masks on. He said he was at Caesar's Palace, and I'm sure you heard that. Uh, they couldn't fit another Packed, person yeah. in the room. Yeah. No mask, no nothing. And, like, to me, here in Atlantic Canada, where, like, if I'm at work and you walk in without a mask, we're supposed to ask you to leave immediately. Like, that's – it's crazy that I already feel that seeing someone – you know, like, when the mask thing first happened, it was weird seeing everybody wearing them. But now, like – just the notion that like societies are functioning without them is almost weird. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's been a weird uh, year and a half. Something I find interesting is, you know, I instinctively, you know, they showed that crowd in Texas and I was like, Ooh, cause I, you know, no masks inside. There were so many people not wearing masks inside. Mm. Um, and, and, and my instinct was that like just awful cringe. And then I remembered, like, they're living in a country where there's tons of fully vaccinated people. So many people. Both doses, not just one, both. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would also note, you know, not to get too political on this, you you on the East Coast are not, you know, like, you guys can go out to dinner still. Like, you guys got lots of stuff that... No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm very grateful that I'm not in Toronto right now. What? My brother is, I know you are, and I'd like that... I wouldn't be doing well right now in Toronto. I I, I am not. The I, my my wife went to take the dog to the dog beach today, right? And she goes to turn down the street where the dog beach is there, and there are roadblock. There is a roadblock because I guess too many people went to the beach today, so the police determined that they had to shut down the beach, and Seems so you nice. couldn't go to the dog park. Um, it's so it's just like we're we're on another level out here it's getting it's getting real bad Um, and like the problem is is like the rules and regulations are one thing but when it's a daily changing situation and they start to not make sense like for example coaching football this weekend i had to have a mask on on the sideline but of course players aren't playing with masks yeah and you know like you're on the D line, you're on the O line, you're pretty close. And you're out, but you're outdoors too. Exactly. That's just it. We're all open air, but like, and again, I have no problem wearing a mask, but I just don't understand why I had to be masked. It it didn't make any, any scientific sense to me whatsoever. And like, you know, to steal a line from Bill Maher, like even when the initial first shutdown happened, you could still sit beside someone in an airplane, but you couldn't sit beside someone in an open air baseball stadium. Yeah. 
you know, I mean, it, from the get go, from the jump, a lot of these things have contradicted each other and not made sense. And that's made it incredibly tough for, you know, the conspiracy theorists who are already having a hard time getting on on board with it. Right. Yeah. And, and just one last thing about the about the uh, immunizations is. I have an issue if you're you're going to give me AstraZeneca for the first one and then say Johnson and Johnson for the second one. I, you know, I I believe it's hard to explain, but that is the one thing that gives me the willies is because, you know, we all know what little testing was done by these companies, by big pharma. The testing was done on their own stuff. Nobody, no one from, you know, Pfizer was taking half AstraZeneca and half Johnson and Johnson. They were just yeah. testing all AstraZeneca or all Pfizer, right? Yeah. So, you know, where we do have at least a little research and a little testing clinically on, you know, this stuff, um, when you start giving 50% and 50%, that's where I get the willies. And, yeah. you know, I, I sometimes I feel like a bad person for saying that, but at least I'm not one of the uh, saying, hey, no vaccination for me, right? But I, would, I just want the same dose twice is I, all I'm saying. Yeah, and I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I would assume, and, and I feel the same way. Too. Like, I got my first shot on Wednesday. Oh, um, which one? Uh, Pfizer. And, okay, cool. And I... And, and you should have a right to get Pfizer and, the second and time. And I have a appointment 16 weeks from now Perfect. to get a second Pfizer dose. Nice. Right? Perfect. That's um, the only guarantee I want. And that's and and maybe I'm not guaranteed it. I mean, but if I showed up there and they're like, okay, now here's AstraZeneca, I'd be like, I yeah. think not. Yeah. Um, or I'm gonna need some time to, you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> um. What I will say though, just like going back to my point about like the optics and how we've become so used to it, it not being okay, is just that like in in a way we're going to need time to get used to the idea that like yeah, people are vaccinated, this is yeah. fine. This yeah. is it's actually yeah. not inherently unsafe to do these things. Mm. We just trained ourselves for 15 months yeah. to think they were. Uh, no, I know. And and it's it's this is supposed to be the whole point of getting the fucking vaccine. No, at this exactly. Point, right. Exactly. I and was, I don't go ahead. I don't completely agree with Dana White's take on the mask issue, yep. but I do agree with something he said last night and that it should eventually get to a point where the people who want to go out and wear masks and feel safe wearing masks should do that and not be harassed for doing that. And the people who feel safe not wearing them and make that personal choice should be able to do that and not be harassed for that, right? Live and let live. Yeah. Um, I I have a, a real hard time with, you know, the city canceled the CNE and Taste of the Danforth, which are like two pretty big things out here. But those are two events that take place in August in predominantly outdoor uh, facilities, if you want to call it that, locations, outdoor locations. I mean, by August, almost everyone should have their first dose and all, you know, high-risk people should have their second dose. So what the fuck are we doing here? Like, what... This lockdown stuff wasn't supposed to be a way of life. No. It was supposed to be here. Government is a temporary solution. while you yeah. figure out how to make sure our most vulnerable people don't get killed? Exactly. But if exactly. we if if we're eighteen months away, 
from from the initial lockdown in March of 2020. Mm. And you're telling me I can't stand outside and eat a hot dog. Yeah. Why? No. The f- <laughs> what the fuck no. are you talking about? Well, at some point, people should be able to take personal risks, right? I mean, driving to work, you take a risk, uh, you know. Yeah. Walking your dog, you take a risk that a car's not going to hop the curb and hit you, right? I mean, we all take risks, and at some point, adults should be able to opt in to take a, a risk of living a normal life pre-2020. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not healthy. It's not the solution. We still have to protect the vulnerable, but the people who aren't vulnerable should be able to fuel the economy to the point that we can afford to take care of the vulnerable, you know well, what I mean? Well, and at some point, you know, listen, if you're over 40 and you were able to get vaccines um, in Toronto, at least, like if you've if you're over 40, you've been eligible for two weeks now, two or three weeks, maybe. Um, and, and you could have got it probably in late April. Right. That that flushes out to August and that's over 40. Anyone 65 plus, they got their doses in February like the the people that you told me we were here to protect were the first people we gave doses to and that made sense i am not like i'm not fucking saying that's not how it should have gone mm. but now that we've done that mm. like we, we're not it's not the the goal isn't no covid the goal is don't let grandma die okay well now grandma's not going to die so let's get back to normal I'm not super fussed if a 40 year old gets COVID. Like I don't, and and I'm not a scientist, so like who knows? But like you know, I'll tell you, Pat McAfee was was joking a lot about it. Like when a football player would get COVID, he'd be like, "Oh well, hope he lives," because it was never young, healthy people. It was never a fucking issue, you know. And people would point to isolated cases, and I'm like, "That's cool," but people get hit by cars all the time. I, I will I will I, I would bet a lot of money in my pockets saying that the number of people under 30 that are going to die of covid is going to be a lower number than the ones that kill themselves having to live like this for f- another fucking six months. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. That's one thing people are uh, the governments aren't taking into account yeah. is uh, the negative effect long term on people's mental well-being versus a chance, a 5% chance that they may, you know, contract it. And then what, a 1% chance that they may die. Here's another question to me, and this is just thinking out loud, but if once you get the vaccine, you can still get COVID. If once you get the vaccine, you can still transmit and spread COVID. If once you get the vaccine, you still have to wear a mask. If once you get the vaccine, you still are locked down and can't do anything. It just naturally leads me to the question, what's the point of the bleeping vaccine, right? Yep. Because my initial hope, my initial understanding when I first heard that these were being rolled out was that once you got the COVID vaccine, you either could not get COVID or were at a much, 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 much less chance to get COVID. But it doesn't even seem like that. I mean, you hear about people like I, I relative in another country got immunized and then has had COVID since that. So I, I just, I, you know, I, I have a lot of questions about these vaccines. So my, my understanding is, especially with the first dose, like 
if you get a first dose, it reduces your risk of death. Okay. Umpteen, like uh, you're, right? You're like bad outcome. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 hyper negative outcomes go okay. down hugely after your first dose. Okay. Gotcha. Even after your second dose, I think Pfizer's what ninety five percent or something, right? So is that the one we should be all trying to get Pfizer? I'm not, you know. Yeah. I I, wa- I wanted J and J. I'm like, give me the one dose. <laughs> give yeah. me that one dose shit. That's that sounds great. I think uh-huh. around here they're only giving that to like sixty five and up now, but I could be wrong about yeah. that. Yeah. But you know, if it, if you're ninety five percent, like ninety five percent is still one in twenty are gonna get it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole point in that is that like that one in 20 ain't going to die from it, that the immunization does enough to like train your body to say like, hey, here's how we're going to deal with this shit. You'll probably get conked out for a week. Right. You'll probably be super tired and have a really sore throat and it'll be a bad time. And and you're seeing you're seeing uh, major league pitchers and fantasy baseball who have been recently uh, vaccinated and they're missing their next start. Yeah. And that but that like that was always going to happen. You know, that even when we had people fully vaccinated, people were going to get COVID. This is going to be a thing that exists in our world probably for as long as we live at this point. Like, I have a hard time imagining. We'll probably just call it a cold. It'll be like, is it a good cold or a bad cold, right? Yep. It's going to get like seasonal flu. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We don't call it influenza. They've just got a bad case of the flu is is usually how it goes, right? And then people are like floored. Somebody died of the flu? Like, what? Yeah. That could, yeah, you know, like that will be with COVID. Like, okay, we'll hear of a death every like five years in our community. And, and when that happens, people are like, really? And we wow. might need to go into a shopper's drug mart once a year to get our yearly COVID shots too. Who knows? Yep. Right? Yep. Yep. Um, but like that was, that was always going to be the end game. N- no one in their right mind at least thought – all right, well, we'll sort this out and then COVID will be gone forever. Yeah, <laughs> certainly not anyone in uh, Chinese laboratories. <laughs> so, like, it, it just, it, it astonishes me how the goalposts has moved because at, at the beginning, it was stop ICUs from getting overrun. And I was like, you know what? That makes sense. If you break your arm and you yep. get an infection, you should still not die from that. Because yep. everybody has COVID. That's yep. that's perfectly reasonable. Yeah. We do need some empty hospital beds. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I think the variants have made that a little harder. But, yeah. But like. Uh, that's, man. that's where it gets me is the variants. And just from a personal uh, point of view, my like 99. talked about this before. But yeah. 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 My 99 year old grandmother beat COVID. But then that was the first strain uh, in Moncton the other day. An 18 year old died of covid 18 yeah but i, I again i look at that they and say I'm it's like, because it's the indian strain i, I know guess. but I what know. are the odds like i don't know that i buy that part i i think people were gonna die like 18 year olds were gonna die from this all along but it was gonna be like isolated cases like this right we're not saying an 18 year old died of covid and everybody else of his classes in the icu it's that like there are going to be isolated cases where people that we think are young and healthy and doing perfectly fine die from shit. And that's always been the case in the world. 
You know, I I read a fucking news article the other day about that kid who interviewed Barack Obama. He died at 23 of natural causes. I mean, what's a natural cause at 23? And, and really what natural causes means when we talk about it is like something fucking weird happened. Congenital heart defect. Yeah, yeah, but that's but like who has that at 23, right? No, no. And that's the thing is like usually if you have a bad ticker, you're aware um, because you've failed tests or you've passed out and had to have tests yeah. and stuff like that. So, so, yeah, there was probably something underlying. And I just I just think, guys, like this is going to this is going to get people like it's going to get people. But stuff has always got people. We didn't just like fucking pack it in. Mm. Um. And, and increasingly I'm getting the attitude from people of like, well, we can't, we, I mean, we have to, we have to be super careful now. And it's like, yeah. careful of what we have the fucking vaccine. You might get a bad cold for a couple weeks. And if you want to wear a mask on the subway, cause you're still very worried, that's fine. But don't you fucking tell me I can't go to a Jays playoff game. Yeah. You know? that's that's where we've gotten it wrong and that's where i don't know if we need to pull jacksonville uh state of florida state of texas and just say hey green flag everything's open but people should be able to go to jay's games people should be able to go to the beach and walk their dog i mean the the indoor stuff especially during winter okay but outdoor when it's nice out i mean come on okay well here, here's here's one uh it's july 16th on Thursday, and we'll bring it back around to sports here, the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to begin their series with the Montreal Canadiens. Mm. After what, 10 days off? Yeah, something like that. This is like a Vancouver situation, I think, right? Because they, they goofed up the whole schedule for everyone. I don't know. I just know but, Gary Bettman got this one wrong. So let's say, hypothetically, the Leafs look really good. I think we can all agree. Um, yeah, sounds like Jack Campbell's getting the nod for game one, which, I mean, two years ago, if you told me that, man, did, I would have said, did, what are you I, I, about? I honestly thought they'd switch back to Freddie by the time the playoffs came, but no. And so I, I know it's like sacrilege to even suggest this, but let's say the Toronto Maple Leafs make the Stanley Cup final. Are we going to have a Stanley Cup final that the Toronto Maple Leafs are in where no Toronto Maple Leafs fan can go in the building and cheer for the team. Is that really what we're looking at? That we're going to have... That would be Leafs luck, I'll tell you. We're, we're going to have people vaccinated with their first dose <laughs> that we know mitigates most of the problems, and we're not going to let people go to a fucking hockey game. I, I'll tell you, I don't, I don't know that they'll be able... Like they, they're going to have a hard time. It is going to be politically untenable to continue, you know, first round, who gives a shit? Second round, who gives a shit? They make the conference championships. You know, we're looking at like, that's going to be what, four weeks from now? Yeah. You, you think people in this province who are mostly vaccinated at that point aren't going to be saying, what the fuck are we doing out here? Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be some backlash there. Absolutely. For this to coincide with the Leafs actually making a run and actually having a team to win the whole thing is just so like typical Leafs fan luck. Um, hey, I'll take it however I can get it. No, exactly <laughs> like, right, know. right. And I mean, Austin Matthews just yeah. led the league in scoring. Uh, you know, you're riding a hot hand at goalie. Finally, some depth on defense. Um, yeah, 
if uh what's joe thornton's status is he still out hurt because I mean, it would be real cool if he was you know kind of the whole reason he came to toronto i know it'd be real kind cool, of the whole reason knows, marlo right? came to toronto right like you know i kind of feel like thornton is finishing marlo's business in a way yeah, in toronto bit. um but yeah, I, I kind of wish uh, he'd be a part of this run. Hey, speaking I, I don't of know Marlo, if he's still up with the hammy or what. Real classy move by the uh, Gordie Howe family. Um, Gordie Howe's stick from his last game has been in the Hall of Fame for you know, 20, 25 years or, or however mm. long it's been now. I guess longer than that. Um, but it was removed because Patrick Marlowe now holds that record. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think one of his sticks are in there. Uh, and the Howe family, when presented with like, here, you can have this thick back, told them to send it to Patrick instead, which I thought was an incredibly yeah. classy gesture. It is. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I, I guess especially with Gordy having passed on a couple years ago, you know, yeah. they just said it's better off with Marlowe. Um, very impressive record by Pat Marlowe, but I think it does deserve to be said that Gordy Howe had played like 300 games in the WHA and he played in an NHL that was original six and didn't play 82 games and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Needless to say, if, if Gordie Howe and, and Pat Marlowe had started their careers at the same time under the same, you know, context of NHL setup and rules and regulations, I, I, I don't think that record would be close. I think Gordie Howe would have blown him out of the water. I also just think these intergenerational comparisons are insane, no, right? Exactly. Because it is. It is. It is. I, I, I mean, it's, it's incredibly. I mean, Gordie Howe didn't pl- wear a helmet when he played, right? I mean, yeah. that alone. And, and him at the end of his career versus what Marlowe is now. Like, Marlowe yeah. would skate circles around him. And yeah, I don't. Yeah, ex- and no, I, exactly. Not, exactly. not slagging Howe. He's one of the greatest who ever played, but like. No, exactly. It is. It's. It's. It's almost impossible to make the comparison for all the historical reasons. We're, we're talking about teams full of people who would smoke in the locker room. Yeah, like, exactly. Let's think, yeah, about, I mean, let's think yeah. about that for a second. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Guy Lafleur. Guy yeah. Lafleur was famous for coming off the ice mid-line change, sparking up a, a, a smoke on the on the bench. And uh, Mario Lemieux was famous for smoking in the locker room during between periods during intermission. So, Mary Lemieux, Mary Lemieux. Like this is, I mean, that this is what we're talking about, right? Yeah, like, no, absolutely, right? Lots, um, lots of beer and smokes, and like, I, yeah, just not the same it's, thing that no, that exactly guys it's are a doing now. Sport. It's yeah. a different sport, which doesn't mean um, it's just, bad. Can I, I, I go ahead? Yep. Well, no, no I'll, I'll save this to the end of the show. But just because we made the Marlow Gordy Howe comparison, I want to make a Steph Curry Ray Allen one, but I'll oh. save it for the end of the show because I think we all know even though we never have enough time to really touch on the NBA in here anymore, is that Steph Curry the last couple of weeks has just been shooting the lights out historically. Out of control. Of, yeah, I mean, it's and I, I do have a meme with a stat on it that I do want to say at the end of the show because it's just amazing. Okay. But I cut you off mid-thought there, so finish. Well, I, I but I was going to end up transitioning because what I was going to say is like, hey, like the, the sport changing isn't necessarily a bad thing in hockey. And, but what I was going to say is where That's it is good. a bad thing is baseball. Because I find baseball, and the Jays are doing pretty well right now, I find baseball almost unwatchable. Um, I mean, this early on, if it wasn't like, for me, fantasy baseball is huge in keeping me engaged and involved in it, but... It is very early on, and it you know it's kind of like wake me up when September hits, right? I I get some of that. My my thinking is more just like what the game has turned into this like three outcome situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. No stealing bases. No anymore. one steals bases. Yeah. That's I that is a bummer for me. I I liked when small ball get on get them on get them over 
get them home, right? Um, I watched, I think it was Anthony Kay uh, come out and pitch the other day for the Jays. And he went four scoreless innings with 80 pitches. And they didn't bring him out for the fifth. And I'm just like, what the fuck are we yeah. doing out here? Of all the arms to save, you're saving this guy's bullet? And so I just, and it's, and I think it's this like, oh, we're not going to let a guy see the third time through the order or whatever. And I'm like, well, okay, what are we even giving wins and losses for to pitchers? If that's what, if that's what we're doing, where it's just like, unless you can get, you know, uh, get through the fifth. 27 up, 27 down. Yeah. Like you're, you, you are allowed to face 18 batters. And so if you can do that in five innings, fine. But otherwise you're not, you're done. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, it is. Um, so when like you take all of that and you put it together, this sport is tough to watch. And we talked for a long time about how baseball needed characters and base, you know, what they needed to do to market themselves. And yeah, we let the young guys play now. And we kept you, don't, you. You don't get thrown at now for nearly as much, you know. Stuff you would have done five years ago, they don't throw at you now for. Yeah, but when they talked about those things, they were always focusing on marketing and how to, um, you you know, make these kids famous or whatnot. And why isn't Mike Trout a bigger star than he is, right? And and that, to a certain extent, I think is still true. Like, why isn't Mike Trout a bigger star than he is? But what what the assumption, the baseline assumption in all that was the game is fine. And what nobody noticed was, while all that was happening, the game is not fine. They got a problem. Um, starting pitchers kind of don't matter because you're living with that bullpen shit anyways. Your Guys are trying to work the count every single at-bat. Um, and I think part of the entertainment value in baseball previously was that you had hackers you had the Kevin Pilar's of the world going up there swinging, you know? Mm. Um, and in, in a in a way, baseball is kind of a solved game that the math heads looked at it and went, oh, this is the optimal way to play it, and we'll find people who play it optimally. And yep. Sabermetrics ruined it for the fans. And it's not entertaining anymore. It is a tough watch. It is a real tough watch. It's entertaining. Especially forced to listen to Buck Martinez. Yeah. <laughs> It is entertaining to one socioeconomic demographic, and that is anyone with a, a PhD in mathematics. So at least there's that. Yeah, and those and, guys and, love it, right? They're yeah, yeah. Well, they're all in front offices now. Is yeah. the other problem too, right? Yeah. They're all you know GMs, right? They're all 38 year old GMs now. Um, yeah. No, I. Again, you know, I'll be happier with some of these pennant races heat up. Yeah. Like I still, I mean, look in the AL East right now. The Red Sox are in first place at twenty-five and seventeen. The Yankees are in third place. No offense to the Jays. No offense to the Red Sox. I, like we I, still I, all know, I, the Yankees are winning the AL East. I love how you just like glossed over the Jays being ahead of the Yankees there. Was, yeah, well, I I did mention that they're in second place. Oh, so you said I, Boston, and then you went right to the Yankees. <laughs> yeah, well, I was talking about heavy hitting East Coast teams here. I see. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh. One thing that I don't think people in North America realize is that when you go over to England and you start talking about the four major four sports, there are two teams over there that everybody knows. 
mm-hmm. and it's the Red Sox and the Yankees. Yep. Like, yeah, some... Well, and that's like, in part because their owners own their soccer teams. No, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But, like, you know, teams like the Lakers and the Dallas Cowboys, while some have heard of it over there, not all have. Yep. But they, to, uh, to the last number of people over there, it doesn't matter if you're 82 years old and female, they know who the Yankees and the Red Sox are. So that is the only reason why I highlight them when I talk AL East baseball. But here's here's the skinny here. The Blue Jays are 22 and 17. The Yankees are 22 and 18. All right. I mean, basically virtually identical records. And the Red Sox aren't a first place ball team. They're having a nice start, but they're no. We all know they're not going to finish first place in the AL East. So some divisions are still going to sort themselves out. And some, I mean, look at the AL Central. I mean, the White Sox suited the Twins right now, one to five. I'm pretty sure that might stay the same for the rest of the year. Cleveland could very well overtake the the uh, Southside White Sox, but I don't know. I think the AL Central could stay how it is. But also, too, like it's very early, and really until the All Star break, it's probably not worth looking at the MLB standings. I I think I generally ag- agree with that theory that. I've when I was still doing fantasy baseball, my rule was I'm I'm not looking at any major changes until Victoria Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's if there's a pitcher who's underperforming or you you know a second baseman I was expecting to get more out of, if if it's not Victoria Day, I'm not fussed about it. Um, yeah. Couple MLB news and notes I do want to get off my chest just because we're on the topic. Um, Albert Pujols, uh, designated for assignment this week by the Angels, picked up by the crosstown LA Dodgers, the NL World Series champion defending Dodgers. How do you feel about that? I thought it was real. The rich get richer or what? Yeah, I, I thought it was real classy of the Angels to bite the bullet on that. He, of course, is in it the last year of a yep. deal that's paying him, I think, $24 million a year. Yep, and they butted heads over playing time. And He, he wanted to play every day. They didn't want to play him every day. Simple as that. They had he, a guy named Jared Walsh emerging at first base, and they said, hey, we've already got Otani at DH. What do you want, right? Yeah, and, and Otani's been ripping the cover off the ball. Yes. So, yep. um he was kind of the odd man out there, but there's lots of organizations that would have said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Odd man out. He makes $24 million. He's in. So figure something else out. And and that kid would have had to just sit. Right. Yeah. Um, Angels didn't do that to their credit. Uh, so I yeah. thought it was good of them to mutually agree to part ways. Mm-hmm. As far as Pujols going to a NL team here, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to be hard. It's yeah. I I thought a NAL team would have made a lot more sense, yeah. or a reunion in St. Louis. Some yep. people were theorizing. Yeah, they got uh, guys I think over the there. Dodgers, They've got uh, Goldschmidt and Carpenter over there. They so. do. They do. They do. They do. Um, but I think the Dodgers, if we're talking NL teams, not named the St. Louis Cardinals. I think the Dodgers are the next best spot. Yeah. I mean, for him to be a bench bat come playoff time, I think that could be huge. Yeah, absolutely. Now up to him playing time wise if he had those issues with the angels i think he's gonna find it's gonna be even worse on that loaded dodgers team yeah but i think he also realizes hey this is also a chance for a ring yeah and i don't know that there was any team that he was gonna get the the playing time that he thought he deserved no none whatsoever um, so got that off my chest. The other thing I wanted to mention, and I, I kind of was beating myself up for not uh, closing the show with it last week, is 
Araldus Chapman, and of course this is a biased Yankees fans take, but Araldus Chapman was hittable at times last year, as much as I don't want to admit. This year, he has uh, developed a new pitch, and so far, he is unhittable. The pitch is the split change, and anytime you give uh, someone of the pedigree of Araldus Chapman a new pitch that teams are having a hard time hitting um stay tuned on that one uh like i said the yankees have all the pieces they just need some of their bats to stay healthy and good things are going to happen so yeah i as a yankees fan i am uh relieved to report that rumors of Raldis chapman's demise have been greatly over exaggerated i he was going to need to do something because you cannot be a velocity guy at 33. Yeah. Once once you lose a couple ticks on the fastball, it's like Wainwright. You got to start to be able to move it around with movement. Yeah. So um, I I wish I was smart enough to be able to find his like average fastball velocity, but I would assume he was it's, not it's sitting down. at 101 like he was for so many years. Yeah. Um, you can still throw the triple digits, but it's not the 107 that it was yeah, in the there Cincinnati some, there Reds some days. some wild shit when he yeah. was with Cincinnati, for Yeah, sure. like I think he even touched like 108 ones, which is insane. Yeah, he he was for a long time the hardest thrower in baseball. Uh, I believe he also was with the Cubs when they won their ring. So, Yeah, you know. it was win-win for the Yankees. We'll trade Araldis. We'll rent Araldis Chapman for the Cubs for Glaber Torres. We'll let Chapman go in the win the ring, and then in free agency, we'll just bring him back on the yeah. new contract. Yeah. So the Cubs rented Araldis Chapman for the price of Glaber Torres, but flags fly forever. So really, Araldis, the Yankees, the Cubs, and the Cubs. Exactly. You know. All three parties won. Yeah. And really, if you want to factor in a fourth party in Glaber Torres, you can get a win there too. So yeah. I, you'll, you'll be hard-pressed to find a trade where four parties win like that. Yeah, and they, they absolutely did. Um, so, yeah, was he hittable last year? Hell yeah! I, I, it, as much as it may pain you to say it, I thought I, I thought he yeah. definitely didn't look ready. Um, we're gonna see what is his age thirty three season, but it's like it's gonna get worse. It, and the Yankees are always good at like just finding another guy. McCowan yeah. always used to say relievers are like uh, uh, pretty women. Like there's always another one walking down the street. Yep. You know. Chapman yep. was exceptional for a long time. He is at the end of his road or nearing it. Um, good for him. A, a, an, an accomplished career, and he made a fuck ton of money. Yeah. Uh, my understanding is also a bad person. So, Yeah, some doesn't sound like a good person. But uh, for a guy who I believe the way he defected was he walked out the front door of the team ho- the team Cuba hotel when they were in the Netherlands playing in the World Baseball uh, Championship. Interesting way to defect. I think it was similar to how Evgeny Malkin had to defect from Russia. Just walk out the team hotel and get picked up and never look back. Yeah, yeah, and and that's a thing that we need to remember sometimes is that there's just like wild shit that some of these mm-hmm. kids have to do to be able to um, express their God given talents. All right. Anything we didn't touch on that you'd like to touch on before we run away? Yeah, I want to mention the uh, Steph Curry Ray Allen thing. Um, so, in the history of the NBA, uh, 
I think we all know the three top three-pointing shooters are Reggie Miller, Steph Curry, and Ray Allen. Ray Allen hit 2,973 three-pointers over his career. I believe Steph Curry is in the 2,800 range right now. And every once in a while you see a meme in like in the sports meme uh, area of the world where they, they throw down some stats that are just mind-boggling. And here's one I came across. Steph Curry currently, and this was earlier in the week, so it's probably even less, but as of you know this meme being created, Steph Curry is only 83 pointers behind Ray Allen's career record, including playoffs. And here's the kicker. Steph Curry has played 600 fewer games than Ray Allen. 600. That absolutely floored me. Um, now, if we were talking about like number 19 and number 20 on the all-time three-pointer list, whatever. But we're talking the number one and the number two player. And right now, the number two player is in the ballpark of 73 pointers less than the guy ahead of him. 600 fewer games. That, to me, is... I mean, almost gives me the tingles uh, down my spine. That is so uh, incredible, incredible for Steph Curry, a guy that when he was at Davidson leading that team in the March Madness tournament, everybody thought he was too skinny, too small, too whatever, too one-dimensional to play in the NBA. You go back and look at that draft, the amount of teams that passed on Steph Curry, man. And you know what? I was one of those guys. I thought he was too small. I didn't think he was going to be able to come in the NBA and just in score from that range. Now, mind you, he did put on some muscle. Um, but holy cow, man. Jeez, 600 fewer games. And I know I'm going on here, but that is just breathtaking, mind-boggling to me. I, I don't think that you can um, underestimate the extent that Steph Curry changed the sport of basketball forever. Yep. That small ball came in after him. It and it was always mathematically correct, right? That uh it it is better to shoot 34% from 3 than to shoot 50% from 2. That was always mm-hmm. going to be true, right? But it was hard to show somebody that that was true without having a guy that you could say like, well, this guy does it at like 38%. So it's mm-hmm. so much better that this should always be the shot you're taking. Mm-hmm. And we've seen... And then give, him a, give him a sidekick and a splash brother named Clay Thompson and the rest is history, right? And, and, and we've seen what's happened with the rest of the league, I think, as well. We, we really... If you look at the year-over-year three-pointer numbers, it is a whole... New, like a whole other ball game. Absolutely. Know? Pre-Steph Curry, uh, the idea that a, a power forward would have to go out there and hit a three when his name wasn't, you know, Dirk Nowitzki or, yep. you know, et cetera, et cetera, European player, it was just unheard of. Like, you, you're your four guy, let alone your five guy. You know, we're not even talking centers here. We were talking power forwards. Yep. We're expected to go in there, back to the basket, back down the guy and playing the paint post Steph Curry. I mean, if you're a power forward and you can't hit a three, they don't even have a place for you on the bench anymore yeah. in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, he's, you're absolutely right there. He's with his entrance into the league. I mean, it's, we were talking what Sabermetrics is, is done to baseball. I mean, 
what the three ball and small ball has done to the NBA is is almost just as similar. And so when you were talking about that stat earlier, my my initial thought um, was that, well, yeah, but the game's changed so much. They have so many more three-point attempts. It's, it, it's such a different thing. But I think that first thought's actually wrong because... Ray Allen was still jacking them, man. Like no, he no, was... no. I, dude, no doubt, but they would never let him shoot 15 in a game. Or he wouldn't let them, they, I'll tell you what, they wouldn't let him shoot 15 every night, you know? Um, and, and and they'll let Curry's attempts go up that high regularly. But w- the reason I think it's wrong is that they weren't defending the three like they defend the three now. You, yeah, The exactly. three is your primary point of defense at this point. Most team defenses start with don't give up a good look for three. Yeah. Exactly. And then work your way in. Yeah, exactly. The old game was the complete opposite. You could hang out in the corner and shoot threes all fucking day. No one yep. cared about your three-point no. nonsense. They were guarding the paint. 67% of the time, that meant they got a rebound. What do they care? Yep. I, so th- this Curry stat at first, you're like, oh, yeah, well, the transition of the game, it's a different sport mm-hmm. now, and, and and those things are true. But the part that the second thought that you have to also carry along with that is that he's being defended in a way that no three-point shooter has ever been defended in the history of the NBA. So Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Ray Allen, while he was the, the primary guy on those Milwaukee Bucks and Seattle Supersonics teams, when he got to Boston and Miami, he was the third option, right? Steph Curry has always been option 1A. Um, when Durant was there, I guess 1B, but still, you know, he's he's never had the... I mean, I guess he's played with similar caliber teammates, but Ray Allen was able to hit a lot of those threes without the defensive scrutiny that Steph Curry's had. Yeah. I I think we look back on that draft because for for whatever reason, I remember this, and people were applauding the Minnesota Timberwolves for going for Ricky Rubio at five. And in hindsight, how fucking hilarious is that? Yep. There's a team that picked Ricky Rubio over Stephen Curry, and we and we thought, yeah, no, higher mm-hmm. upside for sure. Yep. And <laughs> so. not only Ricky Rubio, how about Hashim Thabit at yeah. number two? Yeah. What, what I mean, can you imagine if Memphis had taken Curry? Oh, uh, and even though I was a big fan of him, Tyreek Evans at four to Sacramento, that didn't really work out. Yep. And, of course, I'm saving the best for last, Johnny Flynn. Uh, while he was a star at Syracuse, uh, from Minnesota to take Johnny Flynn one pick before Steph Curry. Oof. Yeah, they managed to blow two picks before Steph Curry, yep. Minnesota. That's, so it's kind uh, of a, hard to believe, and impressive. you gotta love it. Uh, I think his name was David Kahn, the GM. Um, obviously out of the sport because I think doesn't take much explanation uh usually when you have two picks in the top 10 and you play in a sport where you can only start five positions you don't draft the same position um so to take two point guards i just remember the media tore them up right i mean hilarious to take two point guards and miss out on the best one Yeah, no, that's just it, right? Like that's absolutely it. Because, because I'll tell um, you what, the media would have got it shoved up their ass. Like if he had Ricky Rubio and Stephen Cur- and and Steph Curry, like yeah, no, exactly. Then no one would kind of care right now. No, exactly. Carl Anthony Towns wouldn't be wearing a, a Timberwolves uniform because they wouldn't have ended up with the number one pick that year, right? It's it would have changed NBA history. Um, but one thing I will say on the Rubio front, there was a lot of talk 
that Ricky Rubio was the next Steve Nash. Yeah. Um, everyone was seeing what Steve Nash was doing, and Rubio had this. Rubio had a very Sid Crosby, Connor McDavid type upbringing in Spain, where he was kind of a prodigy from day one, and so there was a lot of that. Oh, you know, this guy's the Spanish Steve Nash, but you know, so that's where that led into. Now Johnny Flynn, I I just don't know what happened there because Flynn was out of the league in like three years. Yeah, at I least mean, at least Rubio is still playing and you know you know producing. I, I mean, uh, right? I assume so. I assume what happened with Flynn is that they drafted two fucking point guards. Yeah, well, that's, and, that's and Rubio other, was yeah. the guy, and and so that's why the other the, caveat? The other that's the other caveat. And you know, even going back, there was drama. Ricky Rubio had initially pulled an Eli Manning and said, "I'm not going to play in Minnesota," yeah. because being from warm weather Spain, he didn't want. Didn't want to go to cold weather Minnesota, et cetera, et cetera. But that's all done well. Absolutely. Uh, quick footnote there. Uh, the Raptors took DeMar DeRozan ninth overall in that draft. Yep. I pick after my Knicks took a bus named Jordan Hill. So <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. I, I, you know, I will maintain that, like, the, the greatest contribution that DeMar DeRozan ever gave the Toronto Raptors was being traded. Yeah. <laughs> so. We could argue. argue that for sure. Uh you know it's like yeah we drafted demar that was fine everybody still loves him that's you know we haven't really talked about the raps at all i think all year because they've been no, bad all year miserable season um demar's heading the playoffs with san antonio that that siakam contract is going to look like an albatross real quick i think yeah um, um and i've been saying was, for a long he time he was cruise he was cruising along there, but then uh, I think he got hurt or there was COVID-19. You just can't. Kind of derailed the season. You cannot pay B-plus players max money. You just can't do it. And if they're available, if they're going to get max money, then that's fine. You let them walk away and get max money. But you can't be paying B-plus players max money because problem not a stud. He's a no, good no. player. I, and again, I, I think the problem there was that they were paying a B plus player with the expectation that he was going to grow into an A plus player, like kind of like uh, when uh, Giannis, the Greek freak, first came to the league, and everyone knew how good he was going to be. They just didn't know: is it going to take three years? Is it going to take five? Right? Yeah. And I, I, I think I don't think Siakam's in that conversation. No, he's not. He's not. But I I think the contract had to do with his potential ceiling. Yeah. And it doesn't help when guys like LeBron are putting out quotes saying, you know. Zachum's a top five guy and all this stuff and yeah I think honestly I I think LeBron's quote about Siakam had something to do with it whether the Toronto front office wants to admit it or not yeah just a last note on this uh what is it it would be the 2009 NBA draft of course the year Blake Griffin went number one James Harden number three Steph Curry. Uh, how do you like Drew Holiday at 17 overall? I know. Eh? You ball. always you always see somebody as you're like scrolling down the list. Mm-hmm. Um, Pretty cool. I, I'm looking at um, – I, I was scrolling through the draft, so I'm actually kind of peeking at 2014 right now. And if you go all the way down to the 41st pick in the draft, uh, some kid named Jokic was drafted uh, by Denver. Yeah. You know, yeah, and so absolutely. it's just uh, yeah. hell of a second round pick. I know, right? Like, About I, to win league MVP. Um, it's funny to me that there's still some debate 
as to whether it should go to him or um, Joel Embiid. Uh, the problem is Joel Embiid sat out like 20 games. So, Which is becoming even, a bit he, of a habit for him, it seems. It is, it is. Um, but even if their numbers are similar, which they're not, Jokic, Jokic is the better number, certainly in the assist category. Mm-hmm. But even if their numbers were similar, to me, that's the end of the conversation. Jokic played 20 more games, give him the award. Piece yep. of cake. Yep. Jokic, Jokic showed up to work every night, piece of cake, give him the award. And yep. B didn't show up to work one-fifth of the time. Like The conversation ends there. Yep, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, all right. Anything I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, neglect anything that you were looking to get off your chest this week. So we got anything um, I'm missing. Well, here. How about just because we're on the NBA, I might mm-hmm. as well finish my thought on that. Uh, Anthony Davis, um, I defended him in the past saying, you know, it was always fluke injuries and ticky tack stuff. And I, I was wrong about that. The guy is the biggest injury prone pussy. I hate to say it. Um, I haven't watched too much Lakers basketball this year, but I have watched, I'd say, a couple quarters over the past two, three weeks just through uh, sports interaction endeavors. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll tell you, man, every time he goes up for a shot, every time he rebounds the basketball, every time he makes an athletic move, he's either grimacing in pain, clutching his leg, pulling up lame. You know, I... I <laughs> I mean, I've, the guy sneezes and he gets hurt. I, yeah. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. it. You're watching him and he's getting hurt like five times in real time. And four of it, you know, is either faking or just being a, a flat out femme. Um, I can't defend the guy anymore. Special player when he's in the lineup, when he's healthy, when he's firing in all cylinders. But uh, it's, I mean, you want to bash your head in watching him play basketball. It's just, it's painful to watch. Yeah, there's a part of me that just thinks like, hey, like human bodies actually aren't supposed to be doing any of this shit. No, no. you know what I mean? And that like, no. especially guys at his height, right? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, if in 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 the we we have not been bred to like be a mega athlete. If you're nearly seven foot, you're usually a freak show, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that the local townies would pay ten cents to come see yep. you step out of your house. Yep. Um. And then when the seven footers did develop into athletes, we had them just stand in the paint with the back to the basket, right? Yeah. So these is the fir- this is the first crop of Embiid's and Davises where we've got them defending the three point line and and launching threes and bringing the ball up and running the offense and running all over the place. So maybe there's something about that. Yeah. All right. Uh, Nick Smart. And just oh, yeah, to f- just to finish up on the Lakers thing, I might as well say this now. Um, LeBron's compromised. His ankle looks done. Uh, the Lakers aren't winning diddly poo this year. I know the league wants the you know LeBron and the Lakers to win, and they're going to get all the help from the refs. Uh, but if Le- if LeBron's not out there, they're not winning. And uh, if he's out there, I'm not convinced he's going to be healthy enough to get the job done. I mean, you know, there's a lot of basketball to play for the Lakers to go on and, and try to repeat. I'm just not sure I see it happen, especially with Davis pulling up lame like he is. Uh, I I can't talk about going into the NBA playoffs without a quote that just like hit me in the face today. Uh, quote, I'm not going to lie to you guys. A lot of stuff is going on in the world and basketball is just not the most important thing to me right now. 
Uh, a player on a championship contender said that. A star player. I will give you one guess on who it is. Kyrie Irving? You're goddamn right. Jeez. So I shouldn't have been able to guess. It's. That. I mean, it was That's the easiest. Sad. Of course, it was. Of course, Kyrie no, Irving is saying that kind of nonsense. Um. That's cool, man. Uh, I I would encourage you to take that thirty million dollar check you're getting for this year and return it to the team. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine being uh, Durant, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, um. And hearing that, I I can't. James Harden, I that really can't imagine that. I mean, between Harden and, and Kyrie in that locker room, I mean, that must just be a, a very rotten place. I listen. They they could win. They could pull like the Raiders esque shit and and end up winning. I I wouldn't bet a nickel on it. And if I could, I would bet a lot of money on it not being them. Um, I think they have the easiest path to the championship, which makes it in some ways makes them the safest bet. In fact, they are the plus 175 favorite right now. If I could get a yes no on that, if I could if I could bet minus 250, I'd give them $1000 of my money right now to win 400. Like I there are too many head cases in that room for that to work out. Durant, Kyrie and uh, the Beard Harden were finally all on the court at the same time for the I think like maybe even the first time the other night against the Bulls, and of course they they ran them out of the the arena. No surprise there. Yeah. Um. But one thing I will say about Harden, he's playing overweight right now. Um. There's going to be a narrative with James Harden going forward. I'm not sure his knees, his ankles. Uh. And once he loses a step, um, if he doesn't really uh hunker down, this could get out of hand. Um, and we could have this guy playing on a very large contract in a couple of years who is just not in shooting guard shape anymore. It's a guy who paid, made it very clear he didn't want to be somewhere. But yep. part of him making it very clear was not taking it seriously in the offseason or the preseason or the first 10 games or whatever. Yep. And so and- there are long-term consequences of that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, either that is directly carried over to Brooklyn or he's just not taking it serious in Brooklyn now because uh, something's up. It's either he's stopped doing cardio or he's ingesting more calories. One of the two. It's a numbers game. Numbers in versus numbers out. Uh, Plus 425 LA Clippers to win the championship feels a little interesting. A little. I'm not. I. I. Kyrie's uh, Kawhi's been in and out of the lineup way too much. Yeah, but that's that's I I don't count that in the regular season with him because they Kawhi takes many nights no, I off get over I the course it. of a year. I he just, knows what games matter. Yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. All right, you go take care of that cat. For those of you listening, my name's Charles. He is Nick Smart. We thank you as always for listening, and we will talk to you again next week. <laughs>